You're listening to the Show Racism the Red Card podcast, challenging racism in sport and society. Welcome to episode 3 of the Show Racism the Red Card podcast. My name is Jason Webber and I'm the campaign coordinator for Show Racism the Red Card. In this episode, we speak to Joe Redmond from Stand Up to Racism about the rise of the far right. To get involved in the discussion or to ask a question, you can email us at podcast at theredcard.org or hashtag SRTRC podcast on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Joe Redmond, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you are from Stand Up to Racism. Uh, tell us a little bit about the campaign and, and what you kind of do. So Stand Up to Racism was formed nationally across the UK. Um, I think it was late 2014. Uh, a lot of the people that were involved at the time uh, had been involved in Unite Against Fascism, uh, recognised that actually um, the campaigns were taking a different form, that it wasn't necessarily the far right on the streets at the time. Um, so Stand Up to Racism was set up as an umbrella group that could t- take on um, broader instances of racism. So. Um, we set up the Cardiff group about a year later, um, initially around the refugee crisis. So we did demonstrations, we collected, we went to Calais, um, we did public meetings, gigs and so on, um, whilst linking in with other campaigns around um, still fighting the far right if they did appear. Um, but also, um, you know, being at community events and stalls and doing a bit of education work as well. So um, the national organisation is headed up by Diane Abbott. She's the national president. And it's a mixture of um, faith groups, trade unions, and then, you know, we try to replicate that within the Cardiff group. Um, and there are groups in cities all over the country. Um, I'm not sure how many, but, you know, dozens. And in recent times, we've seen the far right gather momentum. Are they becoming more of a threat now? What's your thoughts on that? They're certainly rising. I think there's a caveat, really. The, the, the likes of the BNP and the EDL and the National Front in terms of membership, uh, probably lower than they've been for decades, um, you know, off the back of the, the, the work that, that we did do in confronting them on the streets. Um, but there is a sort of rising tide within certainly popular media from mainstream politicians, um, you know, I guess most encapsulated by Donald Trump in the US that has created the conditions that have allowed um, the new formations to, to develop. Um, what I would say is that it's not, a coherent um, grouping at the moment. There's, it's very contested about whether people should be on the streets, um, you know, carrying carrying things out online or, or or doing it through Parliament. And I think that's replicated elsewhere in Europe, but in Britain, it is very much in flux at the moment, but on the ascendancy, definitely. And and you're right, we've seen different approaches to, to different groups, really, whether it be more of an online platform or more out on the streets. But have we seen some of the groups that have started joining together, actually, and, and maybe becoming more coherent than what has been traditionally in the past? Well, I think so. The, um, the demonstration in support of Tommy Robinson uh, about two months ago now in London um, if that that was fifteen thousand people, it's, it's the largest street mobilisation by the far right in Britain, um, ostensibly called around uh, freedom of speech, but really um, very anti-Muslim in its composure and and the speakers that were that were taking part and you know a lot of faces that we know from the past and from around Europe are all key players in it. But I would say that there's not sort of a coherent leadership around it at the moment, and I think. From our point of view in stand-up to racism, that's why it's really important to tackle it now before it does get too big. You know, um, I'm, I mean, Hitler said 
that if 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 the Nazi party had been destroyed when it was small, it would never have come to power. And I think that's kind of you know the the approach that we're trying to adopt. And and is that kind of a, a new threat in the way as well as that we're seeing some of the far right groups in the UK starting to link up now more internationally uh, as well. You mentioned Donald Trump mm-hmm. and obviously Steve Bannon has come into the picture a lot more recently as well. Is that is that a new threat or is that kind of just giving more momentum or more power and to to some of these groups? Um, well, Steve Bannon since since he left the White House has basically been on our tour around not just Europe but you know the wider world as well so he's met the Front National in France he's met the AFD in Germany he's met Boris Johnson he's met Nigel Farage um, he's been to India and met the Prime Minister Modi and and so on and, and all these far-right figures and he's going around selling an internationalist version of um, of, of you know a far-right politics so there's there are definite attempts being made to learn the lessons and spread those links because um, you, you know people who represent the same sort of things as Donald Trump are thinking well he's in, he's the president of the most powerful nation in the world how can we do the same and we, we've of course seen some of those key figures from those European countries actually coming across to the UK to speak at some of the marches that, that we've seen highlighted uh, as well and I suppose you know with Tommy Robinson and, and his release you know what, what do we kind of see and, and hold up now for, for that for some of these parties is it a victory for them is it something that again we need to step up our, our efforts to try and challenge again yes it, they'll certainly be buoyed by it um, the you know the number the numbers of people signing the free Tommy Robinson petition are, are, are quite stark really I think it was half a million um, initially when when he went into prison um, they'll certainly be buoyed by the fact that he's come out and um, I mean, there's been some exposure about the, where the funding comes from for his legal campaign, for example. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is from the States and, and abroad. And those people are going to look probably to take him around the major cities and, and to try and have rallies, I think, um, in, you know, in, in places where they can build a level of support. Um, and we're trying to organise now to make sure that, you know, pe- people are ready when that turns up on their doorstep. And, and it's interesting, you mentioned the petitions for, for Tommy Robinson's release. It was quite striking, the amount of uh, of people who signed that petition that weren't actually based or from the UK. As I said, is that international reach. And of course, we've seen a number of key figures, you know, personally funding uh, his cause uh, as well. And again, is, is it then the, the platform of social media that's you know, allows this internationalization of their messages and what they stand for to, to get further afield and maybe just what the marches would do um, in the UK. And do you think that some of these social media platforms like, like Facebook and, and Twitter should do more? We've seen mm-hmm. that Infowars, um, you know, has, has kind of been taken down on, on some platforms, had some of their podcasts removed mm-hmm. as well. However, there are certain policies on some of the social media sites that actually won't take down uh, a profile like Tommy Robinson because ultimately it's, it's creating... Um, you know, money for them uh, through the amount of hits and the amount of followers. But should we see them actually take more of a stance on, on these issues? I think they should. I mean, there's nothing to stop organisations setting up another account. Um, Britain First, I mean, I don't know how many times their accounts have been taken down. Um, but they are very clever in the way that, that they use those social media platforms. And yeah, I think you're right. It's, you know, um, these organisations talk about freedom of speech, but it's not necessarily freedom of speech if you're taking away freedom of others. Um, and a lot of the stuff, you know, I mean, there is there's a clear line from uh, Darren Osborne sitting in a house in Cardiff, watching videos of Tommy Robinson calling for a militia against Muslims, and then and then getting in a van and driving to London and actually killing someone. Um, and I think 
you're overstepping the realms of free speech when those actions are actually leading to you know violence against others. And, and some of these groups are very clear on how they use uh, social media, and, and particularly a, a group like Generation Identity, who mm. are you know very trendy, very clever around their marketing techniques, mm. and and you know maybe targeting more younger generation. Would that something that that you would? They definitely are. Yeah, I mean they're targeting students, for example. Um, they, um, I mean, going back to the five hundred thousand people who signed a petition against Tommy Robinson, not all of those people were racist. Um, you know, you have to say they were. Um, you know, they had some had a genuine concern around free speech or around terrorism, and I think Generation Identity will play on that kind of thing. I know they've been doing sort of food runs for the homeless, for example, in London recently, and they will look to to have a different formation with young people. Um, that's not necessarily classic fascism. Um, this, I think, part of this comes from the the lesson of the United States, where um, you know, uh, Stormfront and um, Infowars and have been doing it for a long time, really um, spreading misinformation. Um, Donald Trump would call it fake news, of course, um, and and have seen their numbers grow massively as a result. Their, their supporters and their income, um, and that you know the, the income that they generate from the social media platforms, they then put back into their organisation. And you mentioned about the should we say the general public that wouldn't necessarily you know class themselves as being far right and and racist, but is it particularly since Brexit that it's kind of given that platform for some people that might have had genuine concerns around immigration or around Muslims or around terrorism, whatever that might be, but it's given them that then confidence and platform to kind of feel that they can share whatever they're thinking without maybe any consequences behind it, particularly online. Is that something that we're seeing that that shift in society? It's definitely amplified it and, and given courage for people. Um, whether it's a, a signal of a longer-term shift, I don't know. Um, Islamophobia, for example, has been present in the UK for probably about 30 years since the Rushdie affair, the Salman Rushdie um, affair in, in, in Bradford, um, but really became the cutting edge of racism within the establishment and led to the growth of the EDL, really, off the back of the, um, you know, the war on terror. So Islamophobia has been growing you know, uh, for for quite some time now. I think, yeah, there's definitely been a spike in racist attacks and people's confidence to be outwardly racist since um, the Brexit vote. But I don't think that it's inevitable. It's a one-way trajectory. Um, I was talking about the the refugee crisis earlier and The Guardian did a a report in, um, I think it was 2017, and and they said that a third of the population of Britain has either donated or collected for refugees. off the back of seeing Alan Kurdi dead on a beach, um, you know, and so I think people can be pulled in an, in the opposite direction as well, and and you know, bringing it more up to date. The Windrush scandal was on the front page of all the papers, including the right wing newspapers, where people were saying families have come here, they've settled, they've worked for forty years in the NHS, and now they're being deported, and it's an outrage. I think it swings. And of course, the, the media, the newspapers play, play a huge role in, in that shift from, from left to right or right to left. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the recent uh, comments by Boris Johnson and the, the public reaction and thoughts uh, around that. But, you know, do the media play a big role in actually normalising a lot of this far right behaviour and, and maybe just the general public's opinions more towards that, that way? Without a doubt, there are some newspapers, um, I wouldn't need to name them for your, for your listeners, but you know their front page pretty much every day um, will carry a story either about Muslims or, or migrants more generally. We work with Muslim Engagement and Development and they, they, they produce really good fact sheets around um, the, the way that people are portrayed in the media and 
it's just so overwhelmingly negative in terms of Muslims in particular, but migrants generally, that it's, you know, people read that day after day, day after day. It's not surprising that that actually begins to take hold when you have communities where, you know, people are out of work and have been out of work for a long time, for example, and they're reading the newspaper every day that tells them it's migrants' fault that, you know, in the end, they kind of start to develop those ideas. And generally, the way to break that down is by working and living alongside migrants. Um, and, you know, the, those those ideas break down through lived experience. Um, but obviously, that that's not the case everywhere, because not everywhere is a sort of multicultural city like Cardiff, where where that happens. Yeah, and of course it's, it's so important that people have those personal experiences with somebody who is different to them, who might be a Muslim, who might be a migrant, who might be you know, a, a different skin colour to them because if they don't have that and all you're seeing these negative headlines in the media, then then kind of unconsciously it starts building these prejudiced attitudes and, and these opinions in people's minds. Uh, and that's why you know, we always believe that education is so keen uh, then in, in, in challenging uh, some of these attitudes and just getting people to, to think uh, about her and, and and as you mentioned about certain newspapers kind of understanding what sources are credible sources and what ones are mm. just purely trying to you know go in for clickbait and, and, and essentially trying to sell sell their newspapers uh, as well uh, another group that um, we want to talk about today is the uh, kind of the, the establishment of the Football Lads Alliance or the, the Demographic Football Lads Alliance mm. uh, tell us a little bit about that group so it was set up just over a year ago, um, it was in the wake of the, the terror attacks at London Bridge um, and a guy, John Meehan, um, in London, who uh, was a Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur fan, lifelong hooligan, kind of says he's reformed. Um, he was one of the founding forces within the Football Lads Alliance, which he called at the time, you know, quite adamant, not a racist movement, um, a movement against terrorism. Um, we knew from the outset that that wasn't the case because, I mean, that was the week of Darren Osborne's terror attack on Finsbury Park Mosque and there were no um, there were no Muslim speakers. Uh, it was quite clear. All the speakers that did speak at the initial event uh, spoke against Muslims. Um, slightly different from the EDL in, in that they go for big city rallies rather than um, trying to march through diverse communities, um, Tower Hamlets and places like that, Luton, where um, the EDL march. Um, so yeah, they they were set up for about a year now. Um, the split, uh, publicly the split with the Democratic Football Lads Alliance came um, because of misappropriation of funds. Um, so me and the the leader had um, been using some of the funds to pay for a holiday. I believe is what was publicly stated. Um, and I think, and you know, we have people who study all their forums and all that kind of stuff. I, I wouldn't want to do it myself, but thankfully some people do do it. Um, it was more around tactics and the DFLA wanted to take um, a much more outwardly Islamophobic profile and, and move away from the, uh, the we're just general, generally protesting against terrorism. So uh, the DFLA is actually more of a threat now. The FLA itself uh, is pretty much dissolved around its leadership. So uh, the DFLA is the force that's been putting the bigger numbers on the streets through working with um, veterans against terrorism um, there's a, a woman's organisation that was around in EDL days that is still um, got quite a large reach and um, also appealing to UKIP, which is a, another dimension um, because, you know, you, we have seven UKIP AMs in Wales, um, but in the rest of the UK, they're, they're pretty much decimated electorally and they're, they've been through a series of leaders that have been either unsuitable or, or you know, or just outright corrupt. And they've now settled on Gerald Batten, who's involved in the DFLA as well. So he's pretty much spoken at all their marches. So UKIP 
are turning up at DFLA demos and saying to people, you know, if you want to vote for a party that opposes Islam, opposes Muslims, opposes Sharia law in Britain, vote for UKIP. And, you know, they've had a little bounce off it. They, they, their figures are going back up. And, you know, we've seen the, the, the DFLA you know, being very active around certain football clubs as well, mm. uh, in, in England in particular, and, um, you know, kind of extending that out to, to Wales and, and potentially Scotland too, where we've seen banners, you know, at at, a, at uh, Arsenal's grounds and, mm. and Newcastle as well. And I know that the Premier League has, has kind of sent out a, a statement and some advice uh, to clubs. So it certainly would be something to interest in throughout the season now, starting to see how they mobilise mm. and, and how that might impact on, on the communities in and around those areas as well. And kind of to finally then, you know, all, all of these issues and, and the, the rising of the far right, how do we challenge them? What things can, can we do together? What things can people out there listening do to, to try and challenge or to educate people on, on some of these issues? Um, well, I mean, the majority, I believe that the majority of people in the UK are accepting of migrants and not racist and um, are not Islamophobic um, with a majority. Um we don't often see that the demonstrations um, when Donald Trump visited the UK was a, a rare version of um, a rare expression, I should say, of um, that anti-racist majority being on the streets um, and proclaiming it. Uh, we need to see that more. We organise um, a United Nations Day Against Racism march in Cardiff, London and Glasgow every year. And it takes place in cities right across the world. So I think there were about 30 last year. Um, sorry, this year, March. Um, and we'll be doing that again. But what we want to look at is building um, an anti-racist movement that goes into every workplace, every school, every college, every football ground, um, you know, right across the UK, where people are coming together and sharing their ideas and also, yeah, like you said, educating. And, you know, we quite often we'll go out and we'll have to have a vigil because of a racist attack and you show that solidarity around a community, for example. Um, and we need to do a lot more of that joint working, um, all the organizations that have got an interest in equalities and in fighting racism and discrimination, you know, we, we need to work together wherever we can. Um, I think in terms of the football element, it's great that the Premier League have said that and have put guidance out, um, because the national front used to do really well on football grounds and, you know, some of the people, Glasgow Rangers, Chelsea Headhunters, Millwall that are involved in the DFLA, they're the same firms that were around 30 40 years ago um you know uh, the generationally they know what they're doing so it's great that they're going to take action i think it would be brilliant to do um more education on a match day um i would love to see the likes of mo salah paul pogba um you know speaking out actually alongside charities like show racism and red card and campaign groups like stand up to racism and coming together because actually you and i can say it but if the you know the the people on the terrace idle says it, it it carries a lot more weight i'd say so um yeah long term we all need to work together we need to do a lot more education um and we need to respond to the call when um you know the racists and the fascists try to march or they attack people we do need to take to the streets in our numbers to say we don't stand for this and that is the key thing is is that everybody you know some people listen to this might think well i'm just one person what can i do but mm. united and together and the more people we have within the communities coming together to challenge some of these attitudes but as you said that education is so important so for our younger generation it's having these difficult conversations with them but for, to get them to understand as i said earlier what sources are credible what sources are not credible even social media itself anybody can post anything so it's not really a credible source uh, of information and it's 
having those conversations and, and educating as many people as we can. And, and of course, that goes for adults and the, and the older generation mm-hmm. uh, as well. But it's certainly we can all stand together to, to challenge, um, you know, this rise of the far right and any individuals who go against what values our country stands for. Yeah. And I mean, we're a volunteer based organization because we campaign. Um, you know, we don't have paid staff uh, really. And we're a membership based organization. So people can join stand up to racism in their local town and city if they want to get involved in things. You know, we are on the Internet and and, you know, the same with show racing their car, get them into your local school. Um, there are things that people can do as individuals that will lead to more collective action as well. And what is the website for Stand Up to Racism? Um, StandUpToRacism.org.uk Fantastic. Uh, Brilliant. Thank you for coming in to talk to us today about the far right. You have been listening to the show Racism the Red Card podcast. Subscribe now to receive future episodes and help other people discover this podcast by rating us on iTunes.